0: Welcome to episode 32 of the New Balances podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I am joined by my very good best friend, well, sometimes good, other times questionable, Father Demetrius. Father, thanks for joining us uh, for today's
1: topic. Happy to be back. Happy to be back.
0: So uh, today's episode is going to be a bit of a um, sacramental and catechetical lesson, uh, because you may have heard in the news uh, for the people listening who have no idea what's about to come down the pipe to them. Um, There have been a couple thousand uh, potential baptisms out of Phoenix that have been declared invalid because of a priest there using a formula for baptism that is not the formula for baptism. And he didn't realize that he was doing uh, something that was going to cause grave harm, but Mm -hmm. has inflicted grave harm upon these people. So we're going to get into the weeds here on how it happened, Mm -hmm. what possibly led up to the happening of this um, grave pain and what has to happen to fix it and why this is not uh, a Catholic church litigious type of Mm -hmm. uh thing of them saying um being up on their high horse and saying well well, you can't do this and you can't do that this is a question of theology and what sacraments are and you having uh several of the fancy wallpapers of the master's degree level uh, (laughs) i think you're a great candidate to talk about this uh with the people of
1: god well also you know i i I do have a propensity to be that legalistic guy that fact checks himself. So,
0: yeah. not only himself, but superiors, yeah. um, administrators of universities and schools uh, within said universities, and uh, a great number of other jurisdictions with which you find yourself having to have a quasi domicile for any extended
1: amount of time. This is true. My favorite phrase to hear is, "Well, you are technically correct." It's like, "Yeah, that's right." <laughs> technically is what I live by. <laughs> exactly. In other words, the uh, we don't like it, but we technically can't get at you because you followed the rules, even if we, you know, don't want to fall. Like right now, they they took away my ability to admit kids tardy to my class, and uh, I teach in another building, on the other side of our property, so it. It takes me seven. I'm I'm out of. I'm fat, but not fat. Fat. You were fat. I was fat. Fat. You're not. Not, No, I'm fat. Fat. I I put some weight back on with the broken hand. You know, you you break your hand fighting a radiologist at jujitsu, and you know, you put on some weight. Um,
0: Medical bills are free.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, but so like it takes me seven minutes to get across from the one building to my classroom. The kids get five minutes, but they now won't let the kids in. So. My way of dealing with it is malicious compliance. I literally send the kids back, even if they're 30 seconds late, they have to walk the whole way back, get a pass. They miss about 20 minutes out of a 40 minute class. And I just inundate the administration with the need to do the paperwork. And they're like, well, you can just, you can decide. I'm like, give it to me in writing. Well, it was like, no, you either call back on the policy, give me my power back, or, you know, you deal with it. I'm going to follow your rules, deal with it.
0: Um, you gave me this purview, I'm exercising my purview, and that's that. Yep. It's kind of like when I was a teacher down in Louisiana on the detention slip, it had one of the reasons you could give a detention was for uh, failure to turn in homework. Uh, so I started writing those and I said, you cannot give a detention for an academic penalty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I said, but it's in the book. Right. They just didn't have enough room in the detention hall for all the people that I sent them. Well, It's not my problem.
1: I have a buddy. He teaches at school. They have the best way to keep teachers from giving out detention lists. They really think it's needed. You give a kid a detention, you got to sit there where the kid serves it. So the way that I got around it was
0: uh, I coached a few sports while I was down there. So uh, the way I dealt with it was if you had detention given by me, Mm -hmm. you could buy your way out of it. By running laps of some sort. All right. Or you, if you were a non athlete and you didn't want to do it, you just had to stand out on the field uh, around the field Mm -hmm. during the practice for the amount of time that the detention would have taken place. But we've gone off the rails a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I am going to
1: pull up a story here um, talking about. Because I'd I'd like to point out too, because um, you said about um, how this is a priest affecting baptism in Phoenix. That's actually sort of a, a misnomer, actually, because if you actually read the guy's um, history, now it's easier for me than you. But like, if you pull up like his, you know, on the DOS website where he's been stationed, etc., you find out he's also been in Cali and all that stuff. So like, there's multiple dioceses involved right now in this um, nightmare of i did not see that yeah because he was uh i think he was within a i don't know if it was a congregation or secular association of priests or something but he was in a different group and he was stationed a couple places before he settled in phoenix so i mean and he admitted that he's been doing this this whole time so like he's he's created paperwork for many an angry chancellor (laughs)
0: And the canonists in those offices and the bishops themselves, as well as the pastors that are currently in those places that have to go back through the roles and find this guy's names.
1: Yep. (sighs) Maybe I should look, man, though. Maybe I'll luck out and, you know, maybe I'm one of them so that I can actually, like, you know, go, uh, you know, as Luther said, pick a four to take, go sin boldly and get rebaptized, get it all taken care of, Constantine style. (laughs) Uh,
0: That's just what you need. knowing your parents and having spent a few nights under their roof they would not allow you to do such oh they would not my dad
1: dad would break my leg (laughs) legs (laughs) Uh, Uh, oh
0: yeah so so the priest his name Mm -hmm. was or is father andres arango served in arizona for 16 years and the church officials there Uh, presume that uh, the baptisms he did were invalid because instead of saying the formula of I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he used the uh, second, uh, not second, first person plural, we baptize you in Mm -hmm. the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And that's problematic. And I feel like you, being a theologian, Um, explain to the people why there's a big difference between using I versus the we in I baptize you versus we baptize you.
1: Well, so it basically boils down to actually, there was a debate in this, and that's one thing I like back in 2020, the CDF dealt with this issue, and one of the things they cited was actually. Um, thomas aquinas because there was this debate even among the scholastics in the middle ages so like when the minister performs a sacrament how is that working how does christ come into it and you know the too long didn't read basically is christ does the sacrament through the minister so it's not we the church which is the body of christ but fragmented because we're still human but it is Christ who does the baptism. And as much as some people and groups in this country and in the world might want you to think that pronouns don't matter and language can be made up and do whatever the heck you want it to mean. The problem is words have a meaning. And in the Catholic church, especially, and especially when those words are recorded in scripture as coming from the Godhead himself, You got to go with the meaning. And again, the too long didn't read is because it is Christ who does the baptism, not the minister, not the church, not the body of Christ as reflected in the church, but Christ, the head himself. You know, basically through the minister, right? You know, the minister is basically a meat puppet. I mean, that's a horrible (laughs) way to put it, but, you know, you're the hammer. He's swinging it. You know, you wouldn't say that, like, um, you know, and the analogy used in the Middle Ages was, like, you know, the hammer and the chisel make the sculpture, but the sculptor's the one who gets the credit for the piece. And the sculptor's the one doing it, which is Christ. He's the one who does the baptism. You know, I'm just the, the hammer and the chisel that he's hitting on the head. So that
0: being said, with... Uh hammer and chisel versus sculptor analogy Mm -hmm. how does the you know theologically it's the minister Mm -hmm. who's being used as you so eloquently put it as the meat puppet Mm -hmm. um, being used or taking the in persona christi type of uh, thing Mm -hmm. is it the same same sort of functionality of the in persona Christi or is Christ acting through the minister? Not, I just want to make sure I have that
2: right.
1: Yeah. Let, let me pull this up for you. Let me pull this up actually. So,
2: um, of course, it you good.
1: this is the problem when you have your uh, default theology text set to give you the Latin text. And you're actually for once wanting the English variation. You got you to gotta wait a sec. <laughs> okay. So, in the Summa Theologica, which if you don't know that, I would assume most people do, but if you don't, it's
0: the summary of reverse theology. That is, reverse that assumption. Most probably do not know what that is. Right.
1: So, it's the seminal work of St. Thomas Aquinas, who was considered the best theologian the Catholic church has ever produced. Um, It was one of the early Dominicans. He was so smart that, you know, uh, King Louis, the the ninth, the saint um, always had him over to dinner. In fact, that became sort of Aquinas big problem because Aquinas got to be like, like bigger than like, you know, Buddha of happiness, Buddha size. Like he got, he got so fat. They first had to start cutting death so his belly could slip under it. And then eventually they just gave up and started giving them, you know, novices, which are new people in the religious order, to just work as a secretary. And they'd just walk into a room and tell them what to write down because it was too fat to get to the desk. But when the king invites you over to dinner and he wants you to fight you the, the heretics, <laughs> right, you go. Like, you, <laughs> you don't you, you there's not a, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy today. No, nah. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Um it was like when my abbot asked me if I wanted to go to Rome for a conference of uh, seminarians. It's like, are you free that week? It's like, I, I will be. <laughs> um, Tell me to go, I'm there. Right. But so the Summa Theologica is Aquinas's like summary or introduction, he calls it, to Catholic thought. And by introduction, I mean it's like 5,000 pages. It's, it's brutal, and it's written in Latin. The words are hyper-specific, hyper-important, and build off each other. And it's it's great. So in one of his parts, it's question, um, the question cited actually by the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which is the part of the Roman Curia, the part of the Roman office that deals with doctrinal issues. We used to call it the Inquisition. Um, You know, they actually cite this. What they cite is the third part, so the Christ made man um, part of the Summa Theologica, question 67 article one so there's a whole bunch of ways like we don't need to get into all that but you know the question is is it essential that someone should raise the person baptized from the sacred font which you're like well why what that seems like weird but also here because these are the stuff he's dealing with the specific one they cite sorry which is six uh, objection six, can several at the same time baptize one and the same person? The reply is rather interesting and telling. Let me, uh, is it you pinging me?
2: The Where are we at? I need reply to six, right?
1: Do yep. uh, six. There's three corpus. three, 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 seven, two, four, six, far. Six. Okay. So. Aquinas replies, the argument avails in those agents that act by their own power, but men do not baptize by their own, but by Christ's power, who, since he is one, perfects his works by means of one minister. So again, meat puppets. I mean, there's a much longer reply. There's a much longer thing.
0: Um, Succinctly,
1: it's Christ acts through the one minister. Right. And, you know, we we debated that. We dealt with that. You know, Aquinas is 1270s. You know, he dies on his way to the Second Council of Lyon. He's, again, fat. So he's riding a donkey. And the donkey was like, enough's enough. Kicked him off. He broke a couple ribs. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, we lost one of the best minds. Um, But, yeah, I mean, and I think that's part of the problem here is not paying attention to what's already been dealt with and not learning from the past or thinking you have a new idea that's come up out of nowhere. So it's a catechetical issue, first and foremost. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And by catechetical, I'm not exactly talking about what the kids are going to learn in Sunday school, because the kids in Sunday school probably hear about St. Thomas Aquinas, know that St. Thomas Aquinas exists. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you'll find many Sunday school teachers um, who are well-versed in the Summa Theologiae. Right. Nor are you going to find them able to read and understand digest and then regurgitate in a way uh, that a second grader would be able to understand what was just said
1: right and you know aquinas is specific in his language for good reason he knew that at the time you written language apart you know that's one of the things like one of my biggest annoyances is so many people say that aquinas has five proofs for god's existence It's not the word he used. He said, via, I have the five via, the five ways or five roads to know God exists. And that might be like, oh, look at the semantics. But to say you can prove something is different than saying, I can show you how to get there. Right. And again, I I think, you know, there's been a generation of Catholics particularly in the U S but other places throughout Europe, you know, Germany, the Western world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like places where it
0: goes more than just one generation. I think we're at least two two, to two two and a half generations yeah. of poor, poorly formed Catholics.
1: Yeah. And I think you see that in the stats too. Like uh, recently uh, was it Cara? I think it was Cara put out their data. Car the center of apostolic research they they pull priests by cohort stuff like that and what they found was actually the people getting ordained in the past 10 years you know they rank as far more conservative but conservative in the article literally just means the do the black i'm sorry do the red say the black you know the what does it tell me to do that's what i'm going to do You know, let's not let's not make this
2: up.
0: For the non-church people, the do the red, say the black, is referencing something called the General Instruction of the Roman Missal. Uh, So, when the priest is standing up at the altar, uh, reading the prayers, and um, you know, so using the words of institution, he has certain actions that he does. That isn't explicitly something for him to say. And those are in red type. Right. In and fact, that's the where... words that he speaks are in black. And that's what you hear. Sorry to cut you off, Father. No, no, no. Gonna give that... the people context.
1: Yeah, no. Well, I was going to say, um, being a teacher, I can explain this a different way. Like in school, you've probably heard the term rubric. Like this is the rubric for the assignment. This is how I'm going to grade you. This is what you need to do. That comes from the Latin church from the Roman Catholic church. Cause ever since the middle ages, we've written and by we, I mean the monks for the most part, cause we were the copyists um, wrote the instructions in a red and a rubia in Latin. And the words you say in black, um, usually a black iron gall ink. Um, so that worked its way into colloquial idea of the rubric. And, but yeah, so we're getting to a generation where people are realizing you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. You know, the Second Vatican Council wanted to refresh things, but not change things. Like, there's a reason the Second Vatican Council doesn't have anathemas associated with its, you know, dogmatic documents. It's because it. For the people at home, what is ah. an anathema? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. um you still there?
0: I'm here. I okay. like to I like to think of oh okay. Um,
1: I, I heard a pop, so I wanted to make sure that I didn't I didn't, oh. I didn't get this off.
0: Um no I like to try to give a context yeah. to people and understand that not everybody is versed in
1: right. So in the Catholic Church, in. we've often always done a couple things when we have what's called an ecumenical council, which is when you get a bunch of bishops together to represent the whole church, to represent the body of Christ, the ecclesium. The church itself, Um, Well, that depends on, I mean, you want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, It always has to be at least promulgated by the Roman pontiff, but some would say it has to be convoked by the Roman pontiff, but you got to be careful there. Nowadays, yes, it has to be called by the Roman pontiff. So the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, and the teachings have to be formally promulgated from that office. Now, in the past, some of the Roman emperors, like Constantine the Great, will call Nicaea because he'll basically be like, give me a book. I need a book. What do you believe? Give me a too long, didn't read. Like, I ain't, I ain't learning all this stuff. Give me. Give, let's go. That's um, the
0: creed we say at mass on Sundays. Exactly.
1: The Nicaea and Constantinople. But for the T-L-D-R. most part, <laughs> those are, have always, up until the 1960s, those were always called to deal with a very specific doctrinal question. So like a matter of the heart of the faith, A or B, C or D. And in some of them, like, again, like at Nicaea, you have stories of, you know, Arius, who was one of the early heretics who taught that Christ was the best creature ever made, but that he was still creature. He was still created, which meant he wasn't God. So sometimes these debates got so hard that, you know, according to the Catholic tradition, St. Nicholas of Bursey the St. Nick we call Santa Claus, you know, just had enough and just walked up and decked them in the middle of the council. I mean, some of oh, these call that a small T tradition. Right, right. Yeah, that's you know, that's colloquial tradition. Um, but you know, I know a certain individual who's a redheaded fellow who during a seminary used to call St. Nicholas Day Slap a Heretic Day. <laughs> but uh, so being that they were always called for a specific issue, like the most famous one would be Trent which is called and lasts for over 40 years, but it's called to deal with the Protestant Reformation and the syllabus, the multiple errors and attacks on the teaching of the faith that are taught by some of those early Protestants, you know, Zwingli, Calvin, Luther, all of which who had Catholic education and were part of the Catholic orders. But again, rabbit hole there. But they all had what were called anathemas. So they gave a teaching document. They would explain What does the church believe? Why does it believe it? Give citations. Well, you know, ex-father of the church, ex-pope, why, you know, ABC for the past thousand years, 2000 years, 500 years, 200 years, depending on when the council was called, you know, this was what we believed and why. And then at the end of that, you always get what are called the anathemas, which is a fancy word in Latin. It means anathema sit means sit accursed or be cast out. And what they are is they're the counter statement. So it's, if you believe this, you're accursed by God, you're out of the church. So like, you know, a famous one would be like, if you believe that baptism is not necessary for the salvation of souls, anathema sit. That is a famous one from Trent. So if you believe that you don't need to be baptized, and again, you can hash that word out many ways. I mean, that's, that's a complicated matter. But you're cursed by God. You know, another one would be you know, if you believe there's salvation outside the church of Christ, anathema sick, you are cursed by God because it goes contrary to what the church teaches. Now,
0: which that is, is in and of itself a loaded statement, considering that the Catholic Church not only has a, a teaching where there's no salvation outside the Catholic church Mm -hmm. and is stated in the documents of Vatican Mm II, but still has other documents that talk about um, how do we have such things that we can have dialogue with these other churches and other Mm -hmm. religions and not, you know, nullifying them in the same process.
1: Well, and that's one thing I do love with some of the Vatican II documents. So like right now I'm teaching a class called Christian lifestyles to a bunch of seniors. And I always start the class by looking at Luma Gentium. So we take about three weeks because it's a thick document. It's, um, it's a dogmatic constitution from the Zachary Council on the church, on Luma Gentium, the light to the nations or light of the nations. And, and that's one thing they're very careful in their wording in it, but they say like, look, the church as the body of Christ is how we are brought into heaven because heaven You know, it isn't some baseball game or something. It's not whatever you want it to be. Heaven is defined. We know exactly what heaven is. It's the beatific vision. It is seeing God face to face, being united with him and him united with you in the most intimate way possible, which we know that because we know how we get there, which is by being a member of the body of Christ, the church. And that pulls us literally into the Godhead. You know, it's a type of deification in a way. Whereas as members of the body of Christ, we're pulled into the Godhead. We get to be in the presence of God. Um, And the church stands by that statement. But the church also stands by the fact that, as it states, there are those who through, quote, no fault of their own, do not know the teaching of Christ, nor the gospel of our Lord. And it's those who what have what we colloquially will call invincible ignorance meaning a level of lack of knowledge that is invincible there's no way to pierce it that opens the door to them being part of what we call the invisible catholic church I meaning they are part of the body of christ they're still part of it they just don't know it we don't know it you know god through his mercy and salvation of humanity has brought them in through maybe a baptism of desire of the spirit and the soul rather than a baptism of water. And that's one thing I love Lumen Gentium because Lumen Gentium starts out the first two, um, first two chapters deal with this, you know, how the church is necessary, how it is absolutely required, how baptism is essential, how confirmation calls you to a deeper defending and promulgation of the faith. But then it does say like, look, there are those who through no fault of their own don't know God. And if they strive to follow natural law or in the way the document puts it, which actually explains it is the precepts of conscience without being deceived by the evil one, which it also says often deceives our consciences as collective because we're fallen humans. You know, they have the potential to obtain salvation. In other words, we can't guarantee they're going to get to heaven. We can't guarantee they're a member of the body of Christ. So you're saying
0: there's a chance,
1: but there's a chance. It's just like how the Catholic church changed its tone from in the middle ages. You know, if somebody committed suicide, they were denied Christian burial They could not be buried in consecrated ground. They were all but said to burn in hell. The church never said you're in hell, but we all but said that because the idea being murder is a mortal sin, even killing yourself is a mortal sin. If you do it to yourself, there's no chance to repent, but a bing, but a boom, you're in hell church now says look mortal sin also requires you know consent of the will and knowledge the
0: distinct
1: right things. grave matter consent to the will and knowledge and you know the church now says and i think rightly to be like look if you are in a situation where you're thinking of eating a bullet or committing suicide in some way of doing self-harm you're probably not in your right state of mind so let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Let's trust in the mercy and love of God. We're not going to say they're in heaven. In fact, I, I hate, I hate when priests give a funeral uh, homily and they're like, well, we know they're in a better place. Like, really? You know that? Like, like you saw some miracles, worked on their intercession? Like, like, how do you know that, like, they're in a better place? Like, you don't. I refuse to even say it at my grandma's funeral. Like, I said, look, we trust, we hope she's in a better place. But as I said, I'm not the Pope. It's not my place to canonize. And that's what you're saying when you're saying somebody's in heaven. You're saying they're a saint. You're canonizing. them. Um, but so like we're like, look, we're not going to say where they're at. We're going to trust in the mercy of God and hope because God knows the heart. He knows the mind. He knows the will. He knows everything about us. So he knows if, like with suicide, if we were messed up and we didn't give consent. He knows, like, if we don't know the gospel or say we're raised in a faith that teaches you that Catholicism or Christianity is just wrong, God knows if that level of indoctrination and, you know, training rises to the level of, quote, invincible ignorance. We can't decide that. And so that does open up for what's called ecumenical dialogue and interfaith dialogue. And they're two different things. Ecumenical is among members of the body of christ kind of those that are split away so that's your churches which are your catholic churches your orthodox churches those which have apostolic succession full sacraments etc your ecclesiastical communities yes catholics in our hierarchy we name stuff differently in our documents so ecclesiastical communities are those that have valid baptism but are missing apostolic succession or some other sacraments that be like your lutherans um your Anglicans, but not always your Episcopalians, because some of the Episcopalians actually have Apostolic succession in this country, which is always a fun paperwork nightmare. Um, that has to go back to like how some of the early bishops after the Revolution got ordained, but well consecrated. It wouldn't be ordination, but so your ecclesial communities are those who have valid baptism but lacking somewhere else, and then that's our ecumenical among the church. Then our inner faith is like our conversations with the Jewish people, with Muslims, with um, Sikh, Hindu, Buddhist, etc. But again, the idea is, you know, part of the confusion I think comes from Vatican II because being that it wasn't, to get back on topic here, being that it wasn't dealing with specific problems. It wasn't a council called to deal with a doctrinal issue. There wasn't an issue of, somebody running around saying that Christ was not God, but he was Superman. We didn't pronounce those anathemas because we didn't need to. All we were doing was updating how we talk about the topics. And in that. I do think.
0: Change the words and the meanings and meanings and symbols mean something.
1: Right. And I think some people got the wrong impression. And some seminaries i think did a bad idea too of how they taught because i don't think the emphasis was put properly for several generations of priests actually that well the council taught what it taught it's not an ongoing thing it's done this is the changes that have occurred this is the updating that has occurred it's not an ongoing spirit or process or process it's a it's a done and Yeah, no, you don't get to just keep updating as you want. That's not how this works. And
0: that's how the other ecclesial communities work.
1: Right. And you see how quickly that falls apart. You know, once you take away the hierarchy, everything falls apart. They shatter like glass. Yeah. Look at even the SSPX now. The SSPX broke away from the Catholic Church when we, um, you know, updated the liturgy. Again, following the Vatican Council. And now, because some of their founders and early founders are talking to the Catholics about trying to come back. They have splinter groups that are broken off. Well, oh, you're betraying our tradition. Do, 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 do. You're talking to because once you lose unity, it's a crapshoot. It all falls apart. But I think that leads to the mentality of it doesn't matter. Like I remember one time I was sitting in seminary and I forget what day it was. It was a fast day. So it had to be during Lent because it was like a, an actual fast day. Like you had to fast probably ash wednesday or i don't know what it was you took friday classes i for a while we were doing that like that ppf stuff because like i mean you've seen that that absolute nothing we get here and i i wanted to be a decent priest like you know i mean i got my own issues so like if i could help bill with my own issues i mean you know also gave me an excuse to get out on a friday so i got out you're trying to
0: make your your ignorance a little bit less invincible
1: exactly Plus, I could then stop and get a beer and a hamburger on my way home. I'm, (laughs) You know, who who wants to eat Abbey food when, you know, you can expense out. Don't you have your own gourmet chef? Eh. (laughs) Eh. We eat well. We eat well. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. It's not the same as like stopping and getting a nice Chimay and having a, you know, a bison burger.
0: So one of the things that you had
1: said oh, previously oh. sorry but let, let, let me tell that story because it, it applies to this so it was a fast day it was friday wednesday whatever and i'm meeting there and i'm having uh a drink it was a coffee with milk in it oh your doggie showed up good boy good um boy. so i'm having a coffee with milk in it and one of the guys goes you can't have that that breaks the fast no, it's not a substantial liquid. I think I can even have broth and it doesn't technically break the fast. But no, you're wrong. And me being me, um, Adam knows this, but I used to have what we jokingly called the deposit of faith, which was um, I would get an extra copy of every book I could possibly need in seminary and quasi legally scan it. I would destroy the book in the process. So there was a legal loophole at the time that let me make the PDF. Um so I pull up the commentary on canon law and I search up the rule on fast and I look at it and I read it and I read it out to him. Like, yeah, no, dude, see I is right. Ex-canon, da 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 interpreted this way, da da da. And why I tell this story is because the professor who was a priest looks at me and goes, Well, that's the legalistic response. And I looked at him and I went, This is a
2: priest I like. And I looked at him, and I was like, Ray, when did that become a bad thing? When did checking,
1: fact checking, and making sure I'm not doing something wrong become a bad thing? I'm not using this against the guy. I looked and I was like, you know, I, I'm not pulling out the code on canon law to yell at somebody. I'm not coming up like, oh, you're not allowed that. Da, 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 da. I'm fact you're checking. you are wearing sure. buckled shoes. You can't do that anymore. Exactly. You know, oh, you have a beard. The Council of X said you can't have a beard. Um, I'm not using against the guy as I pointed out to him. So I looked and I was like, when did fact checking, when did checking, when you have access to the resource become a bad thing? And he just looked at me dumbfounded. I'm just like, and I tell that story because I think that summarizes a large generation of Catholic clergy in the West. Now you don't have that same problem, I don't think in you know Africa, some parts of uh, Central America, South America, Asia, places where, you know, you still actually pray for your daily bread. You know, you, you tend you you tend to be much more hardline in a good way um, than some of us, I think, get into here in the in the West, where we I, I honestly think where we become a little corrupted by the culture of the day, where we're like, well, it doesn't really matter. Let's let's emphasize this. It's like, no, no, no. There's a rule right there. I can't not no. But, and then again, we I think we see too, especially these days, like with the baptism thing, you know, this idea of, well, pronouns don't matter. Yes, they do. And then also the, oh, well, it's the church acting as a whole. I'm not special. Actually, yes, you are special. Yes, there is the ministerial priesthood and there is the common priesthood of all the baptized. This is an act of the ministerial priesthood because, again, you are the meat puppet. You are what God is using. You're the impersona Christi. You are the tool. So
0: just to play devil's advocate here and to ask the question, I would say two uh, question. I would two questions I would have. If it's an act of the ministerial priesthood, how is it then that I could baptize somebody in a case of emergency? How is it that um, You know, somebody's grandmother could baptize a child in the bathtub. I'll I'll, I'll make
1: it even better for you. How can my cousin who was born premature with a major birth defect be baptized by his Sikh OBGYN in the OR and have it count?
0: I mean, because they followed the, the ritual to a certain extent. The right. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because this is what your parents want, and this is what the church prescribes. So I'm using the intent of the church and the intent of your parents and enrolling you into the, the church of God.
1: Right. So baptism is one of those sacraments where, Now nah, I could be wrong on this. But I see it as it's one of those few times where the ministerial priesthood of Christ functions through anyone made in his image and likeness. Because it has to be a human that does the baptism. And they and have to have the... Legally,
0: also marriage.
1: Right. Yeah, same thing with marriage. Well, marriage is complicated because marriage... To be a proper marriage, you have to be both baptized to be sacramental. Right. So that gets more complicated there. But I would say with baptism, because it's so essential. If you use water, you say the Trinitarian formula, and your intention is to baptize this guy into the Christian faith, hopefully the Catholic faith, but Christian faith, then it doesn't matter you. It's it's a classic example of by the work done. So we have a fancy phrase in Latin, which you know I'll, I'll spare you guys. But again, in the Middle Ages and even earlier, we had the debate, you know, came up in the, um, in the 300s and 400s because you had a bunch of priests who caved and offered sacrifice to the Roman gods to save their own skin because they were cowards. And the question came up then, you know, they were called the traitors, the, the traitors, the handers over, because they would also then hand over the faithful that were legit keeping the faith to be persecuted, martyred, killed. And the question came, you know, these guys were so bad for the faith. Does the stuff they do still count? And the church, again, had a council on that. We wrestled with that question. And the, the ruling was, you know, the sanctity of the minister doesn't affect the validity of the sacrament. It is literally by the work done. Um, ex opere operantu. By the work worked. So. Baptism is one of those weird things where if you do the work correctly, your state doesn't matter. You could be like the founder of the Legionaries of Christ and be one of the worst priests this country has ever seen. You know, I mean, that dude did a lot of of shady things. You know, he he made the Borgias Popes look, you know, kind of tame, but, uh, you know, doesn't invalidate his baptisms. Because he did the right thing. He did the words, he did the water, and he meant to baptize. It's when you start messing with what we call form and matter. So matter, the stuff done, and form the way it's done, that you risk messing with stuff. Again, especially with something like baptism, where you know, baptism and eucharist are two places where God himself, if you're a Catholic, if you're a Christian, you believe the Bible, you believe that God himself, when it came to baptism and the Eucharist. Told you exactly what to say. The head of the church. God incarnate. Told you what to say. And how to do it. So what? You, you know better than God? That's a sin of pride. That's a sin of Lucifer. That's setting your own throne up. <laughs> and we've all seen how that ends. Not great. Exactly. But. You know, the sin of pride is a strong pride. There's a reason pride is one of the capital sins, meaning of the head, and it is considered the head of the head of sins, and that every sin is a sin of pride in some way. So, for
0: argument's sake, here, Mm -hmm. this priest in Phoenix, who's now going to be the lightning rod for all of these types of questions, was there an invincible ignorance?
1: And Does the church provide Ecclesia Supply? So, CDF's ruling on that is no. And I don't want to defer to saying like, well, the church rules, so you have to obey. I mean, there's an element of that. There's something called religious obedience or religious assent to the will. Um, But I would say, one, for him to use invincible ignorance would mean he did not understand baptism he did not understand the ritual he didn't look at the book he didn't read the germ the general instruction which says how you can do this he decided he knew better than the ritual than the gospel than christ So I would say there's no way to argue invincible ignorance. You could argue he didn't mean to do something wrong. You could argue there wasn't the intent to be wrong. But, you know. He was wrong nonetheless. Right. You know, I've never intended to wreck my car and total it. But you know me, I'm blind as a bat and a horrible driver. so
0: Not a winning combination there.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Which is something I always remind the faithful, you know, like, look, you. You you could die tomorrow. You could die in the parking lot. You know, avoid my car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they should give you uh that uh that orange car from the Dukes of Hazard, just so people know where you're at.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, but I have been sent to a couple e because I've had a few fender benders. The Abby's like, yeah, our insurance is insisting that if we're going to keep you on the tab, you got you got to go get certified.
0: you got to go to classes every two years or three years or whatever it
1: is. Never had to do the classes. I always pass the test.
0: So then it's a lack of paying attention that your ADHD kicking in.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know me. You know me, brother.
0: I, um, I do. I've had to drive your ass from New Jersey to fucking Western Pennsylvania. Because you invited me to your first mass solely so that I could drive you to Western Pennsylvania.
1: It was a factor. It was a factor. <laughs> ah, shit. Well, also when I came to preach that retreat up your way, I made you drive my ass back and forth in the parish. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you get no true. rental car. <laughs> no, um, but no. So I would say invisible ignorance, not going to come in because if he didn't know better then he should have known better. And then that, does i think show even worse the problem i think this is a clear example especially with this phoenix case of the guy substituting his own reason for the teaching the church deciding i know better ultimately that's what he said i know better i want to emphasize this more the ritual and god himself was wrong for emphasizing it this way and what i think makes the whole phoenix case even worse you know I talked earlier in the podcast. I I said how the document from Rome quotes Aquinas. That document came out in 2020, two years ago. This dude's still been baptizing people wrongly. Like how we
2: assume,
0: well, no, we don't assume. We know he has been, but thankfully there's been some sort of thing going on between 2020 in 2022, where yeah. maybe not in, as many people were getting baptized as should have been. True. Uh,
1: but but again, it just shows the lack of paying attention, the lack of reading. And again, there was a similar issue back in 2008 where people here in Jersey, and this came down hard in the Newark Archdiocese near where I'm at, because there was like three priests who were actually the ones who started this idiocy. But they were in like in the name of God the Creator, God the Redeemer, and God the Sanctifier. And even then Rome put out a document directly addressing them saying, uh no. Stop the red, say the black, don't mess with the words Christ gave us. Like, how fucking hard is this? I mean, and, and you get it, like, like I find it funny that a nurse I know, um, she works as a nurse now, she had a an interesting career beforehand. Adam's smiling. He knows the story I'm talking about. She she also was uh, into internet things. Um, But, you know, the fact that she understood the right of anointing the sick better than one of the priests I know is disturbing. So, like, she called me up one time. She had been trying. She was working a a critical care unit case. This is uh, three years ago, four years ago. I was already ordained. And she's like, Father, I, I know you can't anoint over the phone, but can you at least say a prayer with this guy? I've I've been calling the chaplain. I've been calling people left and right. He's dying of bone cancer, but he's too old and too stubborn to die without talking to a priest. She's like, I know you can't annoy him. You're not in the room. You can't actually touch him. But can you like do something? And so I did. I FaceTimed with him. And then I got on the phone call and I I called the bishop of that local diocese on his personal cell phone number because I still had it from back in the day. And uh, he was confused. But after the confusion wore off, he went on a war path and he fixed the problem, which is what I had hoped he would do. But he sent a you know, priest immediately. Oh yeah. And then he and then he read the guy right act. That was uh that was a January 1st situation. Because, well, it's my day off. And the priest, the bishop's like, you don't get a day off. If a hospital is calling you, you don't get a day off. That's not how this job works.
0: I have on occasion had to remind priests that uh, you know. We talked in seminary, um, or at least in the religious house that I was in, that for this, you were ordained. Like priests would suck their teeth for having yep. to do things, celebrate the sacraments, right. s- sacrament of the sick, you know, confession, uh, you yeah. know, they would get bullshit that they would have to go and do something. And I, I would just look at them and remind them and say, you understand that this is. The delineating factor between a ministerial priesthood and, you know, the, right. the the common priesthood that we all share in thanks to our baptism, you were ordained specifically for this reason, nothing else. This is exactly. what separates you from everything else that exists on this planet to go to that person on their yep. deathbed, yep. to confect the Eucharist, to forgive this person's sins. Yep that is the delineating factor you are set aside for this purpose yep. nothing else matters
1: well and that same nurse actually you know recently when i was home she was working as a supervisor at a hospital she called me up it was like 10 30 11 30 at night i was there laying in bed she's like you're young enough you're not gonna die i got a guy dying of COVID. get your ass down here now and i went all right i gotta get pants on hold up i'll be down and you went, and then I ended up anointing not just the dude that was, like, straight up dying, but I was like, all right, well, I'm here. I'm already exposed. I might as, well as hit this stuff. Yeah,
0: because um, you don't need faculties to do that.
1: No. Also, well, in that diocese, I have uh, I have uh, faculties now. That's good. Yeah. But, I mean, it's another. That, that's a whole other if- time. But, but getting back to the situation. So this nurse knew I couldn't anoint over the phone. She understood the matter. Which is the oil touching the skin, and the form, the words the priest says, as being linked and essential. We have a priest that I live with. You know, I love him. To death, he's a good guy. You know, he was working in the hospital when COVID hit. He asked the bishop for permission to quote anoint people from the doorway. And the priest literally, the bishop just looked at the priest and goes, "Matter and form, matter and form. How are you going to uh, quote anoint them without?" touching them without putting oil on their skin well it's a pandemic correct do your job you know you can't do anointing the sick without anointing them because it's an essential element of the right you can hear their confession without touching them you don't you know i mean as long as you can physically hear it and you're in the actual room um you're good but and i think that's part of the problem that'd be like you know like changing the words changing the formula of baptism you know that that's just as bad and the priest should have known that's just as bad as if he started baptizing in wine or beer you know i mean as much as i would love to be a priest that gets to baptize a kid in the stanley cup with a bottle of champagne i know that wouldn't work <laughs> you know like that's that's not how it, works. it brings
0: up the imagery from a couple of years ago when one of the tampa bay buccaneers had their uh, tampa bay lightning excuse me Yep, had their child baptized in the Stanley Cup, which technically is
1: okay because they used water and they not used beer. water, and it was a Russian Orthodox <laughs> priest, so he wasn't going to cut corners. They do not cut corners, <laughs> that ain't happening. Um, but yeah, so a- again, so this priest, again, the sheer fact that this has come up again and again shows me either a he got ordained and said, oh, I know everything now. I'm good, which is, again, sin of pride. Or he went, well, I know better than the people in Rome that did this. Again, sin of pride. Or he went, oh, I know better than Christ who said this in the Gospel of Matthew in the 24th chapter as he ascended to heaven. I know better. Sin of pride. I, I, I just can't get around the fact that it goes to either pride on his part or the sheer fact that, again, like he should have known better, and I and I think that's again essential there, and that's one of the reasons why, like I sort of think, you know, that's one of the bigger problems we have right now is the lack of training and the lack of updated training. You know, I I have a teaching license. I have teaching license in two states. I am social studies ed and special ed and bio ed certified. I got to do continuing edge credits. In fact, I got a rather uh, angry letter from the PA Department of Ed this year reminding me that I have yet to submit my paperwork and that I got to get on that. And I think to myself, you know, why is the priesthood different? Like, why don't we have workshops that are not optional where you get pulled in? Like, look, this is what, you know, these have been sent out. These are the memorandum. These are the issues. Is anybody jacking up? Okay, you messed up. All right, let's fix it. But yet we like, oh no, it's fine. You're good. You've been passed for twenty. Right. You know, you've been passed for twenty years. You know what you're doing. Okay. Well, in twenty years, there hasn't been any, you know, dubia, which is a Latin word for questions answered by the pontiff. (laughs) There have been. I mean, more under Benedict, less under Francis, because like that boy don't like answering questions. But. I don't mean that as an assault. I just mean like, look, it's the truth. (laughs) Like, like, you know, Benedict was always clarifying what he meant and how Francis is more like, and "Eh." that's the difference
0: between a theologian by trade versus somebody who did not teach philosophy and theology throughout their uh, priesthood
1: and uh, episcopacy. And I would say more than that. I mean, Benedict XVI, when he was Joseph Ratzinger and a newly ordained priest, he was a page for the, for the Second Vatican Council. He was Google before there was Google. It was his job to know what previous councils had said and where he could find that in writing. So that when a question came up in a session and the bishops went, uh we don't know, little Joey ran down to the library and came running back with page six, page 12. <laughs> that was his job. And he was good at it. It's just like same way Anthony Scalia became a great American judge. It was because he had the memory to remember where stuff was written down, and he could fact check himself and others on the fly. Like I because, may not know
0: the answer, but I know where the answer is
1: exactly. And I can. And prove I feel to like you,
0: that's 90 percent of life is okay. I don't know this, but I can figure out where the answer to this question is and i can you know get that to you
1: exactly Um, and that's why socrates is considered the wisest person to have lived because when asked you know when said he was smart all he said was well i know i do not know i know i do not know and that that is the definition of the wise is it's the guy who realizes look there's stuff i don't know about you know, I can't spell to save my life. I use grammarly. I pay for grammarly. You know, because uh uh you ain't read about my brain language. works too fast.
2: Yeah, to spell the
1: yeah, yeah, it's messed up. That always gets spelled weird. That's always
2: T-E-H. Um, but yeah,
1: I mean it's it's but it's crazy. I mean, but you have a lot of people that just Think they know better and they're refusing to learn, they refuse to listen. And also, one thing I found even among Catholic priests is the idea of if you disagree with them, you're morally wrong. Like, there's no way to even have a debate because the moment you state something that's not their belief, you're morally wrong. You know, this came up recently with another monk you were discussing um, receiving communion in the hand. And he's like, well, you know, it's the tradition now. Da, 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 da. And I was like, well, if that's the normal way to receive communion, then how come you need special permission from the Holy Father to do it that way? Which ever since the council they've given without much question, but if it's the normal way, because we had a couple people that were insisting on receiving on the tongue and this guy refused to do it. Uh, and I was like, well, that's the right. Like, well, no, they can receive in the hand. I was like, they can, but that's not the normal way to receive communion. And I looked at, him, I was like, I was like, also, name any other rite in the Catholic Church. And if you don't know the Catholic Church, you have the Roman Catholic Church, which is our common one, the Latin Catholics. But there's some 20 some other, you know, rites or ways of doing liturgy.
0: I want to Byz- say 23.
1: Yeah, sure, I think it's 26. It's 23, 26, somewhere in there. But like you have the Byzantine family, which come from the Greek traditions. You have the, you know, Ruthenian, the Armenian. You have the Coptic, the Syriac, the, you know, insert different ways. None of them receiving the hand, not a single one. And so it's like, look, dude, like the normative way in the Catholic church, no matter the right, is on the tongue. So if this dude wants to receive on the tongue, I get you saying you're not comfortable doing it. That's fine. I'm sitting there. I'm vest. Come, like, defer them to me. Yeah. But he had. But, issue- but he took that as a assault on him it wasn't a theological discussion sorry
0: that and that's the the issue you know they're not willing to have a theological discussion they take it personally as if you've insulted them and their integrity um like i know that it is up to the person who's receiving the eucharist uh at least here in the united states to however they want to receive it that's fine either on the hand or in the tongue It's up to the receiver to present how they want to receive the Eucharist. Uh, I know a priest who does not want to put the host on someone's tongue. Uh, He instructs them to go to the back of the line and he'll Mm -hmm. get them on the back end. Mm -hmm. But after every single person who's going to receive on the tongue, he has to sanitize his hands with hand sanitizer Mm -hmm. and then do it again, rinse and repeat. And I knowing that it's just the way uh, that it is the right of the people and mm-hmm. they understand that this is an issue if they come to me i just boom on the tongue next yep. one boom on the tongue next one boom yep. on the tongue and i don't sanitize in between and then he pulled me aside and he said it's not good for you to be doing one thing and me to be doing another so after each one i want you to sanitize your hand afterwards and i said okay, that I can abide
1: by. Right. And bishops in Jersey actually passed that as a rule for a long time. But I will say this, uh, you know, I've been a priest now for what, five years, six years, been on six, something like that.
0: Coming up on 2007, no, 16. 16. Yeah. Coming up on six.
1: Coming up on six. And I will say this, even before that, I've never – Touched a person's tongue, putting in the hose. Same. Cause they don't move like they're pretty stable. I have had multiple people touch me when I'm putting in their hand. Cause they, they reach up for it. They come to you. No, don't come to me. I come to you. That's how this works now. And I'm not saying I'm annoyed at that. I, again, I'm a healthy young man. I, I rolled jujitsu like five, six times. In fact, that was one of the things, Adam, we were talking about a little earlier when I first got on. I was like, yeah, I'm showered up. I just got from the gym, drinking some water. Um, but I will say,
2: you know, that's one thing that,
1: you know, I find frustrating and interesting. Because if the point is to avoid contact, because like we were, again, with, you know, what was going on the past couple of years. who don't touch. You know, boogeyman, don't touch. You know, six feet, ten feet, da-da-da-da. Okay, I have a far less likelihood of actually making physical contact with this person by putting it on their tongue than I do on their hands. Because most people, when I go to their hands, they don't keep it steady. They either lift their hands up, or they actually try and take it from my hand. It's like, no, that's that's not how this... That's, no. No. Nah. That's a
0: discussion for a different time. Oh, um, heck yeah. Because we can just go down yet another rabbit hole... about just that topic alone the oh yeah so i think we've covered sufficiently the we baptize
1: versus the i baptize and the why in form and matter right and you see the same thing actually you know in the roman canon like if you look at the roman canon um there's the line um do i have logos on here i don't have my logos on here uh There is the line, you know, or they offer this for themselves in reference to the sacrifice Um, and speaking to the people. But you got to understand that in a very specific context. It's not
2: them saying, let me pull this up. That's not the one I want.
0: Uh, how many computer monitors are you looking at right now? Two, three,
1: two, two. Okay, I thought judge. it was three. Don't judge me.
0: It's not a judgment, it was a
1: question. Actually, one of my kids asked me, he asked me what uh, type of computer I was running, and I told him that he had this look because I don't want to insult you, but uh, it's like you want to know how I can afford it, don't you? Because, yeah, <laughs> um. Why can Why is this sort of? Okay, cool, got it.
2: Um,
1: so here, in the Roman Canon, which is Canon One in the Catholic Church, um, under the section of communication or uh, uh, commendation of the living, you have. Uh, Remember, Lord, your servants, insert names, and all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you. For them, we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls and hope of health and well being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true, in communion with those whose memory venerate. Da, 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 da. So there is at times this element, even in the Roman canon, of the people doing something together, we come together collectively for the liturgy.
0: You know, that's what we say because it said, uh, I think in the second or third sentence there, for them we offer,
1: right? But at the same time, what I love with this thing and why I see it as perfectly on point when you get to the words of institution, the words that change and confect the Eucharist, that take it from bread and wine. And make it body, blood, and soul and divinity of Christ. We don't use a plural we, you know, it's the take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many. Da-da-da-da-da. So even though collectively we're working as a church at the liturgy, that's one of the reasons I love saying Mass adorantum. One, it's less distracting. Adorantum is when I am facing the same direction as the people. Some say your backs to the people. Well, in a way, but I am praying with them. I am leading them in prayer. And I like saying Mass that way. I I have a parish back home that I love helping out at um, because I get to say Mass that way. But I think that, shows in many ways this element of I am gathering as the minister all these prayers together. But they are praying. They are doing action. They are participating. Again, Second Vatican Council, Sanctus Sanctum Concilium, number 14. They are participating actively. They are participating fully and consciously. But they are participating actuoso in Latin, not activa in Latin. Actuoso meaning with living action rather than activa, which means, I do now, I say this now, I handle this now. No, no. We participate through life together. But when push comes to shove, it is the minister, the one doing the action himself, the priest, in the case of the Eucharist, the ordaining, not the ordaining, the baptizing minister in and praise and baptism, who becomes in persona Christi, who becomes the instrument of Christ himself. It's not a we at that point. It's a my or an I. Because you're the meat puppet. Christ is doing his thing. You're just along for the ride and you're his tool. You're his hammer and his chisel. Enjoy it.
2: So, meat puppet, um, visual in full effect.
0: The minister is the one who is baptizing, hence the I baptize. Mm-hmm. Um why is it in an episcopal consecration, you know, ordination into the episcopate?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Why is it three ordinance?
1: So it's not. It is and it's not. <laughs> so that's like saying, why does a priest have to be present for a marriage? It's the witness factor. They don't. Canonically right. Well, they do and they don't. Right.
0: According to canonical form, however, there the church, in her infinite wisdom, makes available Sp- the possibility of not having a priest Correct. witness the vows when you can't get to a
1: church. Correct. So, and that's why, like, we use three bishops to consecrate a new bishop. There is the principal consecrator there is the one who lays the hands on first and that's the consecrating bishop like if you look up the the um like the lines the pedigrees of various bishops it'll say lineage, the lineage right of the apostolic succession it will give the principal consecrator and then we'll have co-consecrators because they're the backup they're the just in case scenario they're the extra witnesses so that you have three guys who say they saw this happen and sometimes you don't have that, you know, the underground church in China for the longest time, were lucky to have a bishop to be able to consecrate people. So like they didn't have three, there wasn't three alive. They were getting killed left and right or sent to camps. So sometimes we add on things <laughs> in many ways, like the Pharisees to ensure the validity of the primary thing. So, for example, in Episcopal consecration, the consecration occurs by the one. You don't need three other than that's what the law says. That would be a discipline, a low D discipline or doctrine of the church rather than a capital D discipline or doctrine, which is those things which are absolute. You can't change again, like the words of baptism. You do it or it don't count. Um, Or like again priestly celibacy you know there are rights of the catholic church where catholic priests have families because so i feel discipline. like
2: you and i could talk about this
0: for for ages for ages and forever ad nauseum yeah. um, maybe some of the people here have reached the ad nauseum point because we've been talking <laughs> for close to 90 minutes yeah um, but i'd love to have you on again to talk about all of these other topics, and you know, maybe I can throw out something on social media or an inbox of some sort for the people to submit questions to.
1: Oh, i love Demetrius
0: that. to ask that. And um, another
1: thing, um, they might be interested. They might see it. A uh, little self plug and shilling here. I well, was going to
0: get to that point. You oh, know We're okay. just going to huh? self self indulge. That's fine. Uh, but uh, no, no, no. Go for it. Go for where
1: it. Go for where can it. the
0: Where can the good people <laughs> of God find you on your social
1: medias? So I have uh, two channels I quasi up to update regularly. One is Demetrius Thomas, which is my Abby channel. So if you look for Demetrius, if you type into YouTube, Demetrius Thomas Mass, M-A-S-S, you'll often find me. That differentiates me from, you know, the football players, basketball players, um, Demetrius Thomas. My sort of icon channel ID um, for that is my coat of arms, which a uh, lovely person here helped me uh, get. Um, but it's it'll be a blue and white coat of arms with a cross and a red shield on top of the shield. You'll see it. Um, that's my like church only related stuff. So that's, I clip out homilies. I put them there. I do different stuff. Like I have a, a lesson or a unit of video I did looking at like, was well, Kyle Rittenhouse self-defense? What does the Catholic church teach is self-defense and not the other one, which I just started, which only has like three or four videos up right now is the martial arts monk. That is also on YouTube as well as on Facebook. It is, you don't see me, but it is a picture of me with less of a beard, but I am a lovely bearded fellow there. It's a black and white photo. Um, You know, a new video I put up recently was a, uh, the Return of Brother Will, which is me sparring with uh, one of my juniors at jiu-jitsu. But that channel is more focused on my life and journey doing martial arts combined with my element of Catholicism. So like, you know, I'm working on a couple videos right now. Like one, was going to go up. I got to film it yet. I got to finish scripting a little bit, but it's going to look at like the question of, you know, marijuana use in the jiu-jitsu world. You know how does that how does a Catholic deal with that? So that could be a fun one to watch. Another one I'm working on the working title right now is uh, it's a response to an old video by Father Mike Schmidt, um, who put out a thing like lamb blasting MMA and he already addressed it, sort of like answered some counters, but like he still, I think, misses the point. So I'm working on that one that might be called, you know, Father Mike Schmidt needs punched in the face or something like that, um, or
0: or as your um filter <laughs> to a certain extent my other job that i don't get paid for
1: <laughs> not yet
0: maybe maybe the dubia to father
1: mike oh that could be good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but so that would be the martial arts monk i don't know i could send uh do you put like links and stuff in your stuff i can send you i maybe. can
0: yeah send me links and i will post okay. all of the links into the uh description for the episode
1: cool as well as
0: Um, send me the um, jpeg of your coat of arms and i will use that as the uh the social media sort of announcement for this episode sounds good my brother all right man thanks for joining me awesome hope this is good talk to you later peace